Today I'm kicking off a new series, and I really could call this Biblical Principles for Personal Change in Your Life When Change Doesn't Seem to Come the Way You Want It to Come. The reason for that is there is a fight going on inside of yourself, Michelle, and inside of me and Marty. Yeah. There's a fight going on inside of each one of us. It's an unseen fight. It's not obvious. You could look very nicely dressed. You could have a nice smile on your face. You can have all the accoutrements that you need or you think you need. But let me say this to you in all, in all seriousness. The battle that goes on within your soul has eternal implications. Very serious eternal implications. This is the reason why I'm starting this short series. The impact will be for eternity. The Bible talks, for those of you being Christians, and not all of you are here today, about three particular types of battle that go on and we have to deal with. Deadly enemies against your soul, against your family, and that you're going to come up against. The Bible terms those three things, the flesh, the world, and the devil. Those are three that are arrayed against you. We don't talk much about this sometimes. We don't study much about this. It's very important that we look at this. The flesh, what is that? It's not this. It's not just this flesh. There's nothing wrong with the body that God gave you. There's nothing wrong with this flesh. I'm not talking about this flesh. It is the old nature within you. The old nature. When I talk about flesh, it is the one that you were born with that's attached to original sin. The second is the world. Now that's an enemy of your soul because it is promulgating the value system of the world. And there's a, and a tsunami of worldly cultures that flow across the church and to my chagrin, I believe, have radically affected the church. It's changed their value systems. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian based on their values, their pursuits, the way they spend their life and their money. Almost indistinguishable. That is of deep concern. Because if your values change, so should what you do with your life and the way you spend your life. That should change. The other one is Satan. Satan and his demons. They are coming against you and your family as well. So there's three. The flesh, the world, Satan and his hordes. Actually, let me put that a little bit more careful. You and I are not that. Unique and valuable that Satan himself comes after you. He'll go after Jesus. Satan is a particular, he's only one person who can be in one place at one time. He will normally send his demons against you. So today, I want to focus on the conflict within us inside. And I want to start with number one, the old nature, which every one of us in this room has. And the reason why I want to dwell on this is because you and I are our own worst enemies. Actually, cartoonist Walt Kelly has a lasting legacy, and this is one of the books he wrote. Uh, it's Pogo, and it mirrors the problem. We have met the enemy. And he looks in the mirror, and I'm my own problem. My greatest problem. We've met the enemy and he says, you are your biggest problem. And I am my biggest problem. 
Now, most of the time, Satan doesn't even have to worry about tempting me because I'm already messing up my own life, and maybe you are too sometimes, with the things I say or think or do or not do. So even though we have to work on all three enemies, today we're going to prioritize number one, just today. We're going to start today with the internal war that goes on inside of you and me. And then we're going to look next time at the world, move out a level to the world and its culture and its values. Jesus said something pretty radical. You love the world, you hate me. You love me, you hate the world. Let me put it another way. The closer you get to the world, the more you get pursuing the world's goals and values, the further away you'll get from pursuing God's values and purpose for your life. Fact. You say yes to one, you're saying no to the other. You say yes to this, that'll get smaller. In the old days, we used to sing a song called, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. What are the next words? Look full in this. And the... Right? And the things of the world will grow strangely dim. If the things of the world are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, well, guess what? Jesus is getting less and less and less. Promotion and position and possessions and, and prestige. That's not where Jesus' economy is all about. Do not be seduced by the tsunami of worldly values. That's week two. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> you may identify with this. I need you to explain something to me. When I first came to Christ, everything seemed to change for better immediately. I felt a sense of joy in the morning, forgiven of all of my sin and all my shame. I felt peace knowing that God loved me. And I felt hope because I learned that God actually has a purpose for my life. And that was an incredible relief. But after a while, my joy seemed to shrink. And following Christ became a struggle. I became lukewarm, indifferent, wrapped up in my own pursuits. Old habits started to rear up their heads again. And I felt the tug of the old ways coming back. That really frustrated me because I thought I was done with all of that. Now, I want to do the right thing, but for some reason, I don't follow through. I can't seem to fulfill all of my good intentions. I know what's right, and I know what's wrong. I don't really don't want to do wrong anymore. I know that God doesn't want me to do wrong either. So why do I still make bad choices? What's wrong with me? This person wrote, it is so frustrating. I sometimes wonder if maybe I'm not really a Christian. Anybody identify with that? If you've ever felt that way, you are not alone. Most other believers have experienced this. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, which is where I'm going to spend all of today. And Paul says there are six things that are going to happen in your life when you don't know how to deal with this internal battle within. It's not obvious 
We've been talking about mental health last week. This is about spiritual health. Paul explains the, core, explains the cause of the conflict, and then he explains the cure for the conflict. So Romans 7, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to just pull them out. I highly encourage you to engage your Bible. Romans 7, 15 through 25. And it's a picture of a struggling Christian, straight out of Romans. And one thing I want you to notice in this, when you read it, read it with fresh eyes, noticing how vulnerable and honest Paul is. On the screen. I don't understand myself at all. You never said that. <laughs> what the heck did I say that for? Why did I do that? Why did I fall for that? For I really do want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to do. I hate. What I hate? I know perfectly well what I am doing is wrong. And my bad conscience proves that I agree that these laws that I am breaking. But I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing this. It's sin inside of me. It is stronger than I am and it makes me do these evil things. In other words, I don't want to gossip. I know it's wrong. But I do it. I don't want to be impatient and angry and argumentative. But I end up being impatient, angry and argumentative. I don't want to say bad things, but I do. What the heck? As he says at the top, first three words, I don't understand. He goes on. I know I'm rotten inside as far as my old sinful nature. I'm going to unpack this a little later on. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to. Sorry, I've already read that, as it were. Second part. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do the right, what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love to do God's will. So far as my new nature is concerned, but there's something else deep within me in my lower nature. Here's the two, the new nature and the old nature. That is at war within me, within my mind, and wins the fight and makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. In my mind, I want to be God's willing servant, but instead I find myself still enslaved to sin. So you see how it is then. My new life tells me to do right, but the old nature that is still inside of me loves to sin. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Who will free me from my slavery to this deadly lower nature? And then he almost blurts out, thank God. It has been done by Jesus Christ our Lord. He has set me free. So what is going on here? Paul is not a novice. He's not a baby Christian. He is, has, number one, he's had a personal encounter with a living Jesus. He's an apostle. God's using to do mighty works and mighty amounts of evangelism. He's a mature believer in every aspect. But he's describing the frustration of two things. Number one, trying to please God on his own effort, in his own strength, living under the law, which only, nothing wrong with the law, he just pointed out what's wrong and right in his own heart. And two, trying to change his life by his own willpower. Willpower will only last for so long. 
It's no good for permanent change. So today I'm going to look at how to win the war inside of you. I'm going to look at the cost of the battle, the cause of the battle, and the cure of the battle. Cost of the war. It's emotionally draining trying to do the right thing on your own power. I've often said this, in a yacht, what you do, if I'm going from here to Australia, after I get out of the harbour, I set my yacht on autopilot. And then it just goes in that direction. Now, if I walk up to the tiller, which is a big wheel like this, like a steering wheel, and I grab hold of that thing, and I pull on my wheel, all the yacht will go in the direction I pull it. But I'm hanging on, and that's fine for five minutes, ten minutes, an hour, two hours. I'm just about hooking over it, trying to keep the thing going. And then eventually, what happens? I get tired. Tired of trying. And I let go. What happens to the yacht? Boing. It goes back to the course of the autopilot. Same with our old nature. Six negative emotions that Paul lists here, that we just read. See which of these you identify with. Paul says, when I try to fight the internal spiritual battle that's going on in my strength, white-knuckling it, gritting my teeth, I will not do this again. I experience several things. Number one is confusion. Confusion is number one. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I can't find I do what I want to do, don't want to do what I hate. Now, something's wrong with me. Circle, quickly, this is a test, for five points. First person to tell me the answer. How many personal pronouns in that one verse? In verse 15. How many? Circle. In verse 15. There are six, yes. Five points to Gerard. Six personal pronouns. I, 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 me, 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 I, I. Romans 7 is all about, I'm giving you the big picture, the defeated Christian life. You may have met a few of those. Battling on myself, relying on me, I and my guts and grit and determination, myself. But I've got some good news for you. Romans 8 is all about how to overcome it with the power of the Spirit. So seven's all about me. Eight's all about the victorious Christian life, living in the Spirit, not my flesh. Now a key to understanding the whole of the, book, the, whole of the chapter of Romans 7 are the personal pronouns. Now in the NIV, let me give you this. There are 12 verses, in 12 verses, I appears in Romans 7 27 times. It's all about me, 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 me. Me is six. My is six. Myself is two. Let me give you the summary. In those verses there, 12 verses, there are 41 personal pronouns. You can count them later. We haven't got time to do that now. So Paul is pointing out in Romans 7 there that he had an eye problem. You do too, and so do I. I am my biggest problem. Notice, I don't understand myself. The man is perplexed. And I should encourage you, if Paul, even Paul, didn't have all the answers, chill out a minute. Why can't I stop doing bad things? Why can't I do good consistently? Why am I always running off the track? As long as we're in this world, friends, men and women of flesh and blood, we will face that constant tension. The conflict between our sinful nature, who wants to serve the world and its agenda, and sin, 
And the other tension is against that versus what the Spirit wants to pursue, righteousness and God's purposes and God's agenda. Quick inventory. Imagine if we did the warrant of fitness right now. Are we more on this side, pursuing my agenda, what I want? Or am I pursuing righteousness on what God wants? The flesh wants to continue to serve sin and its agenda, whilst the Spirit wants to pursue righteousness and God's purposes. Paul wrote to the Galatians, the sinful nature, this is the lower one, desires what is contrary to the Spirit. That's opposite, polar opposites. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. These two do not mix. They are in conflict, the Bible says here in Galatians 5.17, with each other. So that you do not do what you want. Now the implication is, becoming a Christian, listen carefully, does not stamp out all sin and temptation in a person's life. Does anybody want to give a testimony to that? <laughs> Number two. When I try to fight the internal spiritual battle that's going on me by myself, my conscience is hounded by guilt and shame. God doesn't want you to go around with guilt and shame. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, I like that. But what happens when you try to fight the spiritual battle with human tools like willpower, you'll find in verse 16 of Romans 7, I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong. And my bad conscience proves that. I agree with these laws that I'm breaking. We feel guilt and shame when we do things that we know are wrong. Our conscience tells us, hey, that's wrong. I already know I shouldn't watch this. Here's a good one. I shouldn't watch this. You know that movie that you watched? You know you should never have watched it, but you continued. Huh? Or that book? Or that thing on the internet? Well, here's another one. I know I shouldn't have said that. So negative. Pulling the other person down. But I said it. I just let it out. I know I shouldn't do this, but I want to do it anyway. Maybe it's spending your life frivolously. Pursuing worldly goals. And I do it with full knowledge. And I know that this is not what I'm supposed to do. Which means my conscience says, hey, something's wrong here. But we, we suppress the truth. And guilt and shame happens. Number three. This can happen and Pat will be here next week. Compulsion and addictions come from this. What is that? It's when you start doing something so many times it becomes a habit. The opposite, the wrong way in the world. And you can't stop it. It becomes a compulsion. I need to do the next and the next and the next. But I can't keep myself, verse 17. Uh, I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It's a sin inside of me that's stronger than I am. And it makes me do these evil things. So Paul, let me be clear, is not abdicating responsibility for his sin. Never. And by the way, sidebar, for those of you budding philosophers... If there's no free will, you can never be held accountable for your sin. Sorry, that's just a, something I was thinking about this week. So, so Paul is making the point that his desires and the sin within him are in constant conflict. Paul is also recognizing the fact, this may shock you, that he has an old nature. Some of you have forgotten that. An old nature likes to sin. He says, I have great intentions, but I can't seem to pull them off. And we have this built-in resistance to doing the right thing. See, sin can still win at times because our redemption 
is not yet completed. That is a very important point. Number four, when I try to fight the internal spiritual battle and I keep losing, along comes, and even, boy, I'm familiar with this one. Maybe you are too, self-condemnation. I know some of you become really, really good at this, putting yourself down and condemning yourself. Because he keeps stumbling in the same area over and over, and it's really frustrating you. I still lose my temper. I still say mean things. I still have those thoughts, whatever it may be. And you start saying, I'm no good. Why should I even call myself a Christian? And you start condemning yourself. That's a sign that you're in the spiritual battle. Verse 18a. I know I am rotten on the inside as far as my old sinful nature is concerned. And when you and I stumble in this area, we condemn ourselves and we put ourselves down. It leads to frustration. Point number five. This is the mark of a Christian trying to live on their own power instead of relying on God's power to overcome these worldly desires and the flesh within. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I don't, when I want to do good, I don't do it. In other words, an opportunity presents itself. One happened to me yesterday when I was just finished playing a game of squash and I wanted to get back and a particular individual started poking. I mean, poking hard. The Bible is written by men. All the things I just talked about and reasons to believe. How do you know God exists? I'm going, Lord, now? I'd like to get... So we sat there and had a 45-minute conversation in the dressing rooms with everybody else all walking around in the middle of us. My point is is that sometimes that I wanted to get up and go out of there, and it would have been very easy if we just put aside this guy's need and carry on with my desire. Now, you can apply that in your own life to whatever that may be. Now, if I'm doing what I don't want to, it's plain where the trouble is. It's sin still has its evil grasp on me. The world can still try and have its evil grasp on you too, but that's for next week. The Bible calls this the law of sin in the spiritual realm. It's like the law of gravity to pull you down. How many times have you thought, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm over this. And then you do it. And this frustration leads to number six that Paul talks about. And it's discouragement and despair. Discouragement and despair. Paul says it seems to be a fact of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. In other words, I choose the wrong thing. I choose. I choose the wrong thing. No, this is a mental battle. It's going on in the mind. I want to be God's willing servant, but instead I find myself enslaved to sin. So Paul says, I'm in a battle and it's tough. All of us, I want to suggest to you, have been in the past, if you're a Christian, chronically addicted to sin. But long after you have been saved, our bodies still crave what gave us short-term pleasure and will eventually cause long-term anguish. And the pull to indulge the craving of sin will be part of our lives until at least we are freed from the certain body of death. That's in 7.24. Now the battle has had these six negative costs, these effects in our life. And I want to say this, that without the Holy Spirit's help in your life and my life, 
a person will be dominated by the power of sin and will continue to do the evil even when they desire to do good. Now next, Paul discusses the cause of the battle. What's the cause? Let's go on with you. The cause and the reason is simply this. You and I have two natures. You have two natures inside of you. The old nature you are born with and the new nature you are given when you trusted Christ and you are born again. The new nature wants to do what's good and these two natures are in constant conflict. Paul says in verse 22, I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned. But there is something else going on. That's not in the scriptures. But there is something else deep within me in my lower nature. The Bible often calls this the flesh or the old man. Is it war? That's a serious word. And we trivialize this sometimes with my mind and wins the fight and makes me a slave to sin that, I, that is still within me. The closer we get to God, the more clearly we see our own sin. Let me say that one more time. The closer we get to God, the more horrified we are at our own sin. The further away from God we are, the less we can even sense our own sin. What sin? We have these two natures. These two natures are in constant conflict. So even though I'm a Christian, my old nature still has a desire to do wrong. To, let's take the 10th commandment, to envy. I wish I had what that person has. I wish I had their wife. I wish I had their property. I wish I had their job. I wish I had their car. I wish I had their life, not mine. The old nature still has a desire. That's why, number 10, don't envy. To gossip. Still has a desire to gossip, to just tell it. To lie. To steal. To lust, etc. So becoming a Christian, here's the point, does not stamp out all sin and temptation from a person's life. You do not get rid of your old nature completely until you go to heaven. You see that in Paul's life and you know that true in your own life. Test it against your own life. Now let me explain this, please. For some of you who want to get this really super clear in your head, remember these next three steps. And they're not in your outline. There are three stages of salvation. Number one. It's salvation from the penalty of sin. Write that down. Salvation from the penalty of sin, and that is in the past. And there's a word that we use for that. It's called justification. So along the same line as salvation from the penalty of sin in the past, write justification. This is when this happened in the past. You were justified through Jesus Christ. Secondly, I know you have to write fast. The salvation from the power of sin, which is today, present, and that sanctification. This is the process that happens right now in your life. Cleansing of the old rubbish and more of him. And that comes into those three areas. Victory over the flesh, victory over the world, and victory over the devil. And then thirdly, this is the nice part. Eventually, we will have salvation from the presence of sin in the future. So past, present, and future. And that is called glorification. Justification, sanctification, glorification. That's how the whole thing fits together. 
If you only get bits and pieces, you'll never understand why we're in this battle. And the glorification is salvation from the presence of sin. There is no sin in heaven in the future. Hallelujah. I heard about an old Indian chief who was a Christian trying to explain this concept to his son of these two natures. And he said, it's like two dogs in my mind and they're battling together. There's a good dog and there's a bad dog. And the son rightfully said, well, dad, which one wins? And the wise old Indian chief said, the one I feed the most. Whichever one I feed the most. Your human will is not enough to battle against your own nature. Knowing what to do is not good enough to change you. Because you know what to do. Paul knew what to do. Just because you know the right thing does not mean you do it, right? You see that? If you can't see it in you, you can certainly see it in your children. They know the right thing to do, but they don't do it. So, verse 24a. So you see how it is then. My new life tells me to do the right thing, but the old nature that's still inside of me loves to sin. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. So Romans 7 is an example of a Christian trying to do it on his own strength by the letter of the law. Then he gets to the solution. I like the solution. <laughs> What's God's plan for my victory? For personal lasting change. The first part of God's battle plan for winning the battle inside of me is I must deepen my understanding of Christ. If Jesus is already in your life, that's why you have a battle. You, if you only have one nature, you're unsaved, you won't have that battle. You just do as your old nature pleases. You just follow it along and love the world. There's no conflict there. But Jesus doesn't want to just be your savior. He wants to be your Lord. And a lot of people just want him to be savior, but not Lord. That's not going to work. Go read Matthew 7. Romans 7 says this. Who will free me? Now notice what he says there. Circle that first word. Who? Who, who, who? Not What? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Thank God, the answer is through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the NIV version, those of you who have the NIV version, will notice it uses a very gruesome analogy. Check it out, NIV version. It talks about, who will free me from this body of death? And in those ancient days, what they used to do, if somebody had murdered somebody, they would literally chain the victim that had been murdered to the back of the murderer, and they'd make them walk around with it. Well, guess what happened to the murderer, who's already dead? He started to get ugly and fungusy and ghastly, and it would be a long, painful, horrible, slow death. They'd drag around the decaying body as a reminder of his sin. Get the picture? And Paul says, who will free me from this body of death? Striking illustration. Notice Paul says who, not what. It's a person. It's not self-help. It's a person. Who? Not philosophy, not psychology. You'll have an easier time catching rainbows. Paul's at the end of his rope, and he gets a flash of hope. The answer will not come through yourself. It will not come through others or circumstances. Certainly not Tony Robbins. Or promising to try harder. Or fortune telling or hypnotism. It comes through a person called Jesus Christ. 
Now notice that Paul is so excited about this flash of insight that he blurts it out. Thank God. The answer is in what Jesus did. Romans 6.12. Do not let sin control the way that you live. Do not give in to its lustful desires. Instead, give yourself completely to God since you've been given this new life. Now, I just happened to look up that word lust because I'd forgotten what it actually meant. Because most of you, like me, go straight to a sexual sin, right? Not necessarily. Lust is a psychological force producing intense wanting or longing for an object or circumstances fulfilling the emotion. An intense longing, that could be for somebody else, I get that, that's the normal sense. But it could be an object, a thing, a car, a possession. So it's not just enough to say that Jesus is the answer. Paul explains how, and chapter 8 gives all the details, and that'll be the next message. Romans 8.2, I'll give you a slight thought there, that the new spiritual principle of of life in Jesus Christ lifts me out of the old vicious cycle of sin. Number two, we need to detect and disarm the lie that I'm believing. This is hard. One of the ways Satan attacks you is suggest lies or get you to lie to yourself. Do you know that everything you think isn't necessarily true? You have to test that. Is this true? And the way we test it with truth is against God's word and his values, which never change. Every time you expose and challenge a lie, you're thinking, you disarm the enemy and start making progress. So here's a good question. What are you pretending isn't a problem right now? One of the big lies that we often tell ourselves, well, it's not really a problem what I'm doing, what I intend to do, or what I'm thinking. My finances, ah, that's not really a problem. Our sex life, that's not really a problem. Ah, it's just normal. Our kids, well, it's not really the problem. My work, my temper, my anger, my foul mouth, my thought life, my secret habits, not really a problem. Here's another one. My insatiable desire to acquire. That's not really a problem. Really. John, 1 John 1 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So let me just ask you, a question is somebody who loves you again. Let me say this. What are you pretending is not a problem in your life? Your lack of engagement in the scriptures? The seriousness which you take God's calling? Was a tsunami of the world's values washing over? What are you pretending not to know? That's, you know... Maybe the problem in your marriage, which has become a Mexican standoff. We just don't talk about it, so it's not a problem. That's not true. So you end up being two flatmates living under one roof who have a business relationship. What about, is, uh, what are you pretending that isn't a problem in your personality? And you don't want to admit it. The Bible tells us that if I'm going to win this battle, I have to stop lying to myself. I'm going to stop listening to Satan's lies. And I want you to write down three important truths as we wrap this up. I'll go into more details in the following message. Behind every self-defeating act is a lie that I have believed. Either I've lied to myself or I've let Satan lie to me. And with this amazing ability to lie to ourselves and convince ourselves of things that aren't true. The Bible reminds us, this is a very potent reminder from a prophet of God, 
The heart is deceitful above all things, beyond cure, who can understand it? Second, to stop defeating myself, I must stop deceiving myself. All those self-defeating things in my life that I don't like about me, that I like to change, I must become a person of the truth. I stop denying and stop rationalizing. I stop minimizing, ah, not really a problem, and I stop excusing. So what self-destructive behavior are you putting up with and you justify it? What's the truth that you need to admit? Because the Bible says in John 8, 32, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And the truth only comes from one source, God. All truth is God's truth. Satan, on the other hand, is exactly the opposite, the father of lies and the master deceiver. But Jesus said, I am the truth. You've got to decide whether you're going to listen to God's truth of the world's lies, Satan's lies, or your own lies. And thirdly and finally, to get some traction in this, get started in the battle, which we're going to continue further, is I need to share my struggle with another. If you're going to fix this in your marriage, you've already fixed it by now. Actually, it's up to you. You have the marriage you want to have. You have the spiritual life that you want to have. Nobody forces you. So if I'm struggling with my mouth in this one, or my mind, or envy, or gossip, or greed, or my behavior, or a secret addiction. But now, if you want to be forgiven, that's one thing. 1 John 1 9 tells you that. Important scripture to memorize. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he'll forgive you. But if you want to change for good and you want to be healed, you want to share it with another spirit-filled person who's going to love you unconditionally, accept you, and pray for you. Be an accountability partner. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that God can heal you. When a believing person prays, great things happen. So sin is most dangerous when it isolates a believer. When it isolates a believer. Nobody in their right mind goes into war by themselves. Nobody. You're crazy. Right? So, to maintain an open, sharing, and praying relationship with other Christians will help you keep from bottoming out in your spiritual life. They will encourage you to move forward. But the Bible puts it very clearly. Galatians 5.16 Live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't do what your sinful nature craves. Circle the Holy Spirit. This he is the key. The problem in Romans 7, if you go read it, check this, I did this several times this week. In Romans 7, the Holy Spirit is never mentioned once. It's all about me, I. But in Romans 8, next chapter, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the dynamism, the power giver, the dunamis of God, is mentioned 19 times in the next chapter. Interesting comparison, eh? So if you live by your own willpower alone, you'll be defeated. But the Spirit of God, you will overcome. It's the blessed Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who gives me the desire and the power and the strength to live a victorious Christian life. And we'll cover that later. Look at this last verse, which is not in your outline. You may want to write it down for your own reference. For it is God who works within you to will, that's to give me the right will to do the right thing, and to act. So it's the desire and the power to act according to his good purpose, not the world's or my own. See, friends, you and I can go out with all the best intentions in the world, 
and you can make all these promises to yourself, which you already know you've broken over and over again. I know that because I've done that. But if you let the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ live for you, you will have the victory. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the future. Let's pray. Friends, all of our best intentions, if you're anything like me, you know that they're just not good enough. The alcoholic who says, I'll never take another drink. The impatient person who says, I'll never lose my temper again. And the person who's driven relentlessly by envy, who's never satisfied with what they have. How many promises to yourself have you broken? If you're like me, probably a lot. Friends, the only way to win this battle against the first enemy, the old nature, is to let the Holy Spirit drive your life. You're never going to get the victory of chapter 8 until you have thoroughly experienced the frustration of chapter 7. And finally you realize you can't live the Christian life on your own agenda and in your own power. So what's the problem that surfaces in your life? Is it temper? Is it language? Is it being honest? Is it pride? Or is it laziness? Self-centeredness? Friends, every one of us in this room have skeletons in our closet. But the problem with skeletons is they don't stay in the closet. They'll pop out at the most inconvenient times. You want to do the right thing, but you end up doing the wrong thing. And that is frustrating. So we may as well be honest and say that this isn't working. Friends, God has given you a brand new nature. And if you've invited Christ into your life, you can access the power of the Holy Spirit. But even after we're Christians, there's still a fight between the two natures. And some of you feel defeated. And you, you say, I feel like giving up. My answer to you is, that's good. Stop trying to do it on your own. You cannot do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. But he can live through you. And if you let his Spirit empower you with his new life, he will lift you up out of that cycle of sin that we read about. Now, if you want to pray this prayer, I'd invite you to join me in your mind. Say, dear God, you know the confusion in my life and the frustration I have felt. You know the guilt and the shame and the habits. And how many times I've made promises to myself and to you that I haven't kept. Today I realize afresh that I have two natures inside of me and they are at war. I would ask you to use your words in this series to help me rely on your Holy Spirit and gain the victory. Deepen my understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for me already and show me how to let your Holy Spirit live through me. This week, help me to challenge the lies that Satan and the world has put in my mind and to challenge the lies that I tell myself. 
Holy Spirit, help me to detect them and to disarm them by your truth. To stop deceiving myself. Because Father, above all, I want to know your truth. And I want to be set free. Free for you. Free for your purposes. Free to use my life for you. Help me to have the courage to declare my struggle to another person. Help me to squash pride. Bring along a friend in arms, fighting their battle too. And may I unconditionally offer love as I have received it. Help me to confess my sins to others and to pray for others so that God may heal me and help me to live according to your new life in the power of your spirit. Some of you today have never invited Jesus Christ into your life and for the first time you have that opportunity to do that. Because right now you don't have any resources to resist apart from your own human willpower. You need to say, Jesus Christ, come into my life. Forgive me for my sin. Live in me by the power of your spirit. I don't understand it all, but I want to trust you, to love you, and to follow you. And most important, to let you live through me by your spirit. I pray this in your powerful and matchless name. Amen.